Hi, it's Mark Wasserman. Welcome to Skaboom Stories, which is the audio companion to my new book, Skaboom, an American Ska and Reggae Oral History. The goal of the Skaboom podcast is to share a behind-the-scenes look at what readers can expect from the book. In 400-plus pages across 19 chapters, I've attempted to knit together the origin stories of groups of passionate musical pioneers who helped create a uniquely American version of ska and reggae. Skaboom features the origin stories of 18 key American ska and reggae bands and one important coast-to-coast tour in 1993 to help tell the important and often overlooked story of American ska and reggae from the mid-70s through the early 90s. If I could have, I would have included chapters on a few other important bands who also deserve credit for helping develop a uniquely American version of ska and reggae. For a variety of reasons, I wasn't able to include them all, but over the next few episodes of the podcast, I plan to devote some time to a few of these bands who definitely deserve your attention. The first one is The Terrorists, whose song Forces is the intro music for this episode. I had originally intended to include them in Skaboom. Unfortunately, there weren't enough people available for me to interview about their story and history. And sadly, most of the band members have already passed away. Nevertheless, their story is pretty extraordinary. Founded in October 1977 by drummer David Ostro, who was also known as Dro, bassist Gary Buildings, and singer-guitarist Ray DeAngel, later replaced by John Collins on vocals and Mark Steady on guitar. The band quickly became a mainstay of the New York music scene of the late 70s and early 80s, and they predated the two-tone scene in the UK by nearly two years. According to Max's Kansas City's promoter Peter Crowley, who I interviewed, they were a group of white kids from New Jersey. Their principal songwriter was the bass player Gary. I think he was the instigator of the whole thing. And Dro was the resident genius and encyclopedic expert on Jamaican ska, reggae, and the Jamaican jazz that predates it. Crowley initially booked the band at Max's on a Tuesday night to see how they would draw. And based on the response they generated, he quickly moved them to weekends after hearing them play. With Crowley's support at Max's, the band quickly became a mainstay of the New York music scene. They shared the stage with talking heads, Patti Smith, Brian Setzer of Stray Cats, Johnny Thunders, and Sylvain Sylvain of the New York Dolls and the Heartbreakers, The Selector, Lee Allen Vega of Suicide, and many, many more. Their propulsive brand of punky reggae filled the dance floor at clubs throughout New York City, including CBGB's, Irving Plaza, Hotel Diplomat, Hurrahs, The Ritz, Peppermint Lounge, Tramps, and many others. According to Crowley, Dro knew all about the history of the music, going all the way back to Count Ossie. Dro also knew all 164 basic reggae drum patterns, and he knew variations of them. 
In a remarkable development, the band ended up backing Roland Alfonso of the Scatolites. The legendary saxophonist had suffered a stroke in 1975 that left him unable to play for a time. During these years, Alfonso would often be present at rehearsals of his son Noel's band in Brooklyn. It was at one of these rehearsals in the spring of 1975 that Drew first met Alfonso, then living in musical exile and selling nickel bags of weed out of a Jamaican patty shop in Flatbush, Brooklyn, to make ends meet. According to an interview Drew conducted before he passed away in 2002, Roland was just sitting there watching, but he never played with the band, at least not when he was watching. He had his old Selmer tenor that never got polished in its case. That was probably because a stroke had left him with limited dexterity in his right hand, and it took him time to develop new techniques that would enable him to play the music the way he had before. Drew continued, It was a couple of years later that I saw him come on stage with Noel's band Ja Mala, and he blew a tune. Nobody seemed to know who he was, and when he left, no one seemed the wiser. So I approached him and asked if he would play with us. I told him we could provide a proper stage for him. He said yes, and we planned it for Max's Kansas City. Once Alfonso was ready and they'd rehearsed together, Crowley booked a show in the spring of 1979 billed as Roland Alfonso with the Terrorists, which was well attended. The Terrorists played their set and brought on Alfonso as the headliner. Crowley, who had launched Max's Kansas City record label, recognized the band's talent and quickly suggested the band record two 12-inch EPs, one with the band backing Alfonso and one featuring their own songs. According to Crowley, the way I worked as a producer was I would go into the studio at 6 o'clock at night and come out at 1 o'clock in the morning with the finished record. I worked with Paul Wycliffe, who is one of the greatest recording engineers in the world. He's brilliant. He didn't know anything about recording Jamaican-style music, so I taught him everything I'd learned about ska and reggae, and he figured out how to get the right mix. In the studio, I have bands run through their set and then say, now play it again. And most invariably, that second try would be the one, said Crowley to me. The band knocked out five of Alfonso's most well-known instrumentals, including Bridgeview, Musical Resurrection, and a reworking of the Scottalites' Christine Keeler, renamed Sax Scandal, and chosen as a title for their ill-fated collection. Crowley shared with me, after the session, riding back to Brooklyn, Roland and I listened on my big old boombox to the songs we had just recorded and mixed, and Roland looked at me exclaiming, I never would have believed they could play like that. Give Sax Scandal from the Max's Kansas City album a listen.
for the terrorist recording, it was decided that John Collins, then fronting his own punk band, would sing lead. The band recorded his original Reese Park with its refrain of All the Naked People down at Jacob Reese Park, which recounts efforts by local Queens, New York authorities in the 70s to prevent nudists from using the popular public beach. Give Reese Park a listen. The rest of the terrorist recordings were their own take on some of the golden era of 60s and 70s Jamaican ska, rock steady and reggae, including Junior Biles' 1975 hit Fade Away, Prince Buster's version of the Hopeton Lewis 1966 rock steady classic Take It Easy, a soulful take on Delroy Wilson's classic I Want Justice, and the tenor's 1967 hit Pressure and Slide, which was originally recorded by Jackie Me Too at Studio One. The band also arranged a catchy ska version of Roy Head and the Traits' 1965 blue-eyed soul hit, Treat Her Right, 
and a spirited reggae cover of Lee Dorsey's 1966 hit, Working in a Coal Mine. Sadly, just as Crowley was preparing to ready the Alfonso and Terrorist EPs for release, his business partner and the owner of Max's, Tommy Dean, informed him that the Max's record label was falling apart. I was stunned, and as a result, the Terrorist tracks didn't come out either, said Crowley. While the recordings were sadly shelved, the relationship that Dro had established with Roland Alfonso led him to being hired to serve as the Scottalites percussionist in the 90s when the band reformed and hit the road. It was a dream come true for Dro. He knew all that stuff, and he could play it as well as any of them, Crowley told me. Though the two-tone ska scene then percolating in the UK would soon grab the musical limelight with its unique mix of 60s ska and punk, Crowley always held out hope that these tracks would get the respect they deserve. His faith in a New York-inspired version of ska and reggae would soon be realized in the mid-'80s when the toasters, the boilers, and the scofflaws took the city club scene by storm, creating a uniquely New York and later American version of ska. Though things didn't work out with the recordings that Crowley had arranged, the terrorists soon caught the attention of superstar dub producer Lee Scratch Perry. This was during a time when Perry had parted company with his Jamaican house band, The Upsetters, and was traveling widely, forging musical partnerships wherever he went. Perry's work with the terrorists was one of the first of these raucous partnerships. The band played live with Perry a few times during his time in America in the early 80s, and they recorded one 12-inch that captured their brief collaboration featuring a song called 
Love is Better Now, that also included a version with Scratch performing a rambling chat called Gorilla Priest. Give Gorilla Priest a listen to get a sense of the band's skill and facility and to hear Scratch in all his chaotic glory. Greetings, Senor Gonzali. Greetings to the universe. This is your black gorilla pre-speaking. Smokey Joe. Then we're going to introduce him myself. Greetings to the universe. This is black acid speaking. Smokey's priest. Oh, I'll take it one more time. Smokey's white smoke signal. Greetings to the universe. This is white smoke signal. The life of the cloud speaking. Smokey Joe. Joseph. The hammer. <laughs> Introducing myself. Sadly, Dro passed away in October 2002. He was well-known in New York City reggae circles and had a very popular reggae radio show on WBAI-FM. His legacy and the legacy of terrorists lives on in the generations of New York and New Jersey ska and reggae bands who began to build one of the most vibrant U.S. ska scenes of the mid-80s through the early 90s. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Skaboom Stories. The book is now available from DeWolf Publishing at DeWolf.com. That's D-I-W-U-L-F.com. Thanks for listening and take care. <laughs>